Nicole. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 122. Y'all, the current situation is a conspiracy theorist's wet dream. And I'm a little shooketh that it's called Pizzagate. Yeah. I'm not loving them encroaching on our extra large pizza. Right? Like, I want to trend, but not for, like, the wrong thing. Yeah, that's no. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So, yeah. But also, like, okay, so Wayfair, all of that, but also Brittany. Like, that's a whole other thing. Brittany. She's getting overshadowed by all this, but if you, look, if you're not on TikTok, don't be. <laughs> it's a suck hole. But a suck hole? A time suck. I think I've done that before. Anyway. A suck hole. <laughs> well, that's a new one. In it's America, my version of a glory hole. hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Some more doom and gloom right before we get started, though. Even though all of that is conspiracy theories and no proof, COVID-19 is still happening. Mm-hmm. And... I know that we have people in the group that have been affected by that with coworkers who have passed, family members who have passed from it. They have they themselves have been exposed to it. Or actually have it. Yeah. And so I mean, it's still very much a real threat right now. I feel like we're in that second wave that they all talked about and it's like, man, what I don't know. As two people who are immune compromised. I'm like, wear your fucking mask. Yeah. Because you know what? I saw a meme on the internet, and it was fucking everything to me. And I actually think Creep Mom shared it. It said, back when bakeries would refuse to make cakes for same-sex marriage, and when they would refuse, people would say, well, that's their right to refuse business. Well, those are the same people that now, when businesses say, you have to wear a mask to enter, they're saying... You're trampling on my rights to not wear a mask. Yeah. And it's like, it's all fun and games when it's what you believe. Mm-hmm. Yep. But as someone, again, two people, immune compromised, both with elderly parents that are at risk, please wear your masks. Please wash your hands. That's all. We've had a couple of other people reach out asking about our stance with Black Lives Matter. And we just wanted to reiterate our stance just because, again, everybody's feeds have changed back to their regular stuff. And it doesn't change the fact that we still support Black Lives Matter. We still are an ally and we still see the pain and hope to be beacons of change. Shout out to all the people who are on the front lines and making these injustices known and seeking justice for them. I mean, we know it's not gone just because it's gone the headlines. Okay, this isn't Channel One. We're not doing current events, but you know who is current? Patreoners. A big thank you to Jean N. from Louisiana. Victoria C. from Connecticut. Lauren G. from Georgia. Eva L. from New York. Madison L. from Mississippi. Maddie snuck up in here. That girl works with me. I didn't even know. (laughs) And Lana I. from Michigan. Thank you all so much. We super appreciate it. Like we said, we know times are tough. 
things are real shitty right now, but we hope that the extra content is giving y'all a little cheerfulness during the day. At least the bloopers, something. Question mark. (laughs) Yeah, question mark, question mark. And also, if you want your name shouted out, go on over to patreon.com forward slash the APC podcast. All right. Remember the Haunting on Devil's Road documentary that I mentioned like two weeks ago when I covered the Pomeranian family's like haunted stuff? Vaguely, but you also know I don't remember shit. True. I have that CRS syndrome. (laughs) True room. Well, there's several more available on Amazon Prime, and I saw this one, and I had to watch it, of course. And I was super intrigued by it, and I wanted to share the case with y'all. The documentary is called A Haunting on Brockway Street. So most of the information came from the documentary, but I did some independent research as well. Picture it. Saginaw, Michigan, 2007. There was this house that was located at 1631 Brockway Street, and it was run down, but the bones were beautiful. The house was stately. It was a mix of colonial and Greek revival, white, two stories with big, beautiful columns out on the front portico. And when Stephanie Braley laid eyes on this house, she didn't understand why it was vacant. Who could let such a masterpiece of a home waste away to shambles? And also, for that matter, why had no one scooped it up? Because at that time, it was a buyer's market. She talked her husband, Tom, into buying the house and renovating it with her. It was her dream come true. And looking at the rundown house, Stephanie could picture her family's future. Her and Tom raising their kids, taking pictures for prom, All of those sweet memories that would fill the walls and make it more of a home than any renovation could. But like all of my stories go, their dream house turned into a total nightmare. I mean, you can write for some of these shows. (laughs) I mean, if you're listening, I'm available. A little bit more about the house. It was built in 1864 by Abel Brockway, hence the name of the street. He was a wealthy businessman who had his hand in several different honeypots, lumber, railroad, and finance, just to name a few. Jack of all trades, you know. He and his family lived in the house until 1886, which is when he passed away and his daughter inherited it. She was already married to a wealthy man and didn't need the house or the land, so she donated some of the land to the city Then she sectioned off the land and sold it in lots. Fast forward to 1920, a man named Harker Jackson purchased the house, and he also purchased some land around it. He made some changes and additions to the house, but ultimately didn't keep it too long either. It passed through a couple more hands and once was turned into a bed and breakfast, but then we know it was just sitting there vacant, just waiting for the right family to move in and restore it breathe life back into the house again, and like I mentioned in 2007, the Braley's did just that. When they bought it, it really was bare bones. It had been completely gutted. All the plumbing and electrical wiring and fixtures were gone. Most of the windows were entirely broken, like 90%, and Stephanie said that the basement had a nice little water feature, 
I'm, oh. I'm, yeah, I'm kidding. It was three feet of standing water. <gasps> yeah. It took them around a year and a half to fully restore the Brockway house to its original beauty, but they did. They moved their family in and started living their new life in their dream home. And seriously, it's historic, classic, huge, seven bedrooms and five bathrooms. Damn. I hope they got a really fucking good deal on it because that's a lot to put into a reno. Yeah. I mean, not to mention the fact that I'm sure it's haunted. I mean, (laughs) clear. But, I mean, like, literally everything. Yeah. But soon, there are little noises or things that seem to go bump in the night. Everyone wrote it off as being an old house, settling, wood stairs creaking because they were expanding, the water heater, all of the things. However, the kids did pick up on some weird vibes, though. Their oldest daughter, Shelby, was around 13 or 14 when they moved in after the renovation. And she said that she felt someone or something always watching her. But also, it's at that weird age and everything's so dramatic and woe is me. So she had more things to deal with. So, like, it was that strange thing, but also she wasn't really paying it that much attention. She shook it off, but she said that she would sometimes see things out of the corner of her eye sometimes, like shadows by the windows and things like that. But again, she didn't want to be a silly little teenager, so she kept quiet and... I don't know, played with her caboodle, read Seventeen magazine, something. (laughs) Then Stephanie and Tom noticed a pattern with their cats and dogs. They would avoid certain areas, especially this one set of stairs. And if the animals stopped in these areas, they would stare and start to growl. They were always on high alert, like they saw something that they needed to protect their humans from. Question. Yes. How many set of stairs do they have it's in different little things like one's off of one wing (laughs) it's not that big it's like it's like side stairs i guess like off of this little living room it goes up to like the dad's office Mm. and then the other one goes up to the like the main stairs you know that kind of thing all i can picture is miss trunchbull's house i can't picture it at all because I don't know. Oh, God. Actually, it was Miss Honey's house, but you get the point. Still don't know. But Tom and Stephanie were skeptics. Like, yeah, the house is old, but it's not haunted. Ghosts aren't real. All of that stuff. You know, there's an explanation for everything, even if we don't know what it is yet. There's an explanation. Then there was a turning point when everyone had to face the reality that they were not alone in their house. Sabina, their youngest daughter, she was around three or four and she was being babysat by her sister, Shelby. She went up to her parents' room and stopped suddenly when she saw a figure standing at the window in her parents' room. It wasn't anyone that she recognized and the figure looked different. Very slowly, it turned around to face Sabina and then they locked eyes. It was a little boy But when she looked down, she noticed he did not have any feet. Then suddenly, the little boy disappeared right before her eyes. And Sabina did what all of us would have done, turned around, screaming, crying, and running for help. From then on, things got more weird. 
Of course. And everyone could sense that they were being watched. Every move monitored. And when the house was silent and they were all getting ready for bed, there'd be a random piano key played. Because they had a piano downstairs in their main living area. Or multiple played. But they were never in a song. Just randomly pressed like a curious little child would do. However, Sabina was a young kid, so again, being skeptics, Tom and Stephanie kind of filed that incident away in their brain until a friend of Stephanie's came over and brought her granddaughter. And while the granddaughter was upstairs, she had the same experience and described the boy the same way. And so they were like, okay, I mean, two kids... They're innocent, you know, maybe they see stuff like our animals have seen stuff. Okay, maybe something is here. So now they understood that the sounds that they had previously blamed on wood expanding were definitely footsteps, and everything began to become more clear. Alexander and his brother Ashton had different rooms because, of course, the house was huge, but they ended up choosing one room to stay in at night because they would be too freaked out to sleep on their own. Alexander said they would hear banging on the bedroom doors all the time, almost like someone was making the door rattle by trying to turn the handle or something like that. And he said this was a nightly occurrence. They kind of got used to it because nothing would really happen. And even though it was scary, nothing bad happened with it. But it got to be a nuisance, enough that Alexander moved out when he was 17 because he just couldn't take it anymore. Damn. Ashton, the younger brother, he was a growing boy, and he'd venture down to the kitchen at various hours, you know. And one time it was like 2 a.m. for what we call a midnight snack. And he said that he would pass the piano in the main room, and it would play notes. Again, not any musical rhythm or anything, just sporadic notes. But he, like, looked, and the keys were not moving. What? Yeah. Somebody up in that bitch. (laughs) So all of this new activity seemed harmless enough, but now the kids were curious. And this has been over some years now. It's not like it's just all wham-bam. You know, it's, they're growing up. Every, you know, everyone's getting older, All the things. And so they did something that no one should do. They went to the internet, found and printed off a Ouija board. I knew that's what you were about to say. Mm -hmm. And used one of Shelby's rings on a string as a makeshift planchette. They got yes as an answer to the, is anyone there? Can you talk to us? question. Then Shelby asked the spirit to spell their name. And the ring hovered over V... I see. They gave this name to their mom, and Stephanie contacted the genealogy department at Hoyt Library in Saginaw, and she was able to confirm that a six-year-old child did die in the house, and his name was Victor. Oh, my God. So this made the kids double down in their quest to contact Victor. They decided to use the popular method of Charlie Charlie. It was huge on YouTube for a while, Have you ever heard of it? I don't think so. Okay. Well, you get a piece of paper, you draw an X on it so it's like a grid, 
and you put yes in two of the spaces and no in the other two. And they're like parallel to each other. So it's like yes on top, yes on bottom, no, and then no on the other side. Then you place two pencils on each other on top of the X. Then you start by asking, Charlie, Charlie, are you here? And then you can start asking your yes or no questions to the spirit known as Charlie. However, the kids said, Victor, Victor, are you here? And so then they began asking questions. They asked if there was more than one spirit in the house, and the pencil moved to yes. Since they saw it was working, their mom, Steph, asked if Victor was there to hurt them. The pencil went to no, but then suddenly switched to yes. Oh, my God. So Steph was like, nope, that's it. Go burn the paper. Get it out of this house. But what they got from this session was that they believe Victor's child spirit is in the house, but there's another spirit that's evil and is trying to hurt them. And this was kind of proven true because one night, a while later, Alexandra had a friend named Ricky stay in the night. And in the middle of the night, the house alarm system starts going off. Steph isn't too worried because she knows the friend is probably the one who set it off, trying to get snacks or something from the garage. And that's where they kept a fridge that had all the extra good good in it. So she thought maybe he didn't disable the alarm before opening the door or something, you know, like, it's cool. However, at that time, when she's letting her guard down, Alexander and Ricky are hearing the alarm too, but they also heard something that sounded like crying a little bit before the alarm was set off. And they get up and they're on high alert. And all they could grab for weapons was a crutch each. It reminds me so much of me and you. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) what do we have? Camera stands. (laughs) Legit used a camera stand one time. Yeah. (laughs) So they open the bedroom door with crutches in hand to find Steph at the door because she was coming to check on the boys. And they all collided in the hall like a movie. (laughs) Imagine the chaos that is ensuing at like 2 Mm a.m. The alarm's still going off. The boys both have crutches as weapons. The mom's frazzled because she was sure it was the kids just being absent-minded who set the alarm off, but they're here, like, ready to fight someone. Like fucking Scooby-Doo and his gang. Yeah, But then Alexander looks around and he's like, where's Sabina? Because it's chaotic and she should be awake trying to figure out what's going on too. And she's not in the hall with them. Well, Stephanie ran across to her room and Sabina had a cool little setup. So she had these curtains around her bed. Okay, Princess Sabina. Right? So Stephanie pulled them back to expose an empty bed. (gasps) Stephanie screams in pure terror and shock, so Alexander's mind goes to the worst-case scenario that Sabina is dead in her bed, or she's been kidnapped or something, because he said he's never heard his mom scream like that. So he rushes over to Sabina's room to try to figure out what's going on, to comfort his mom or try to save his sister, whatever he can, and he finds out that Sabina is missing. So he's looking around and looks outside from a window, and there she is. And just then, she screams, bloody murder. So Stephanie went into mom mode, doesn't even remember how she got from Sabina's room upstairs to the front door. But she says she broke the screen door trying to open the door 
quickly to get to her. The road they live on is pretty busy, and even though it's like 2 a.m., there's still cars going. And Sabina is about 10 feet from the road. Oh, shit. And she's in like a trance, just slowly walking toward the road. And Stephanie screams out her name, Sabina! And it just snapped her out of it. Sabina turns around and just starts bawling her eyes out. And later in an interview, Sabina said that she could see what was going on, but she couldn't move her body. She wasn't in control of her own body. And she said all she could feel was really cold, and then she felt herself start crying. Oh. And Stephanie said that when she hugged Sabina, she felt like pure ice. And this was in mid-July, so that ain't normal. Right. In the documentary, Stephanie says during a one-on-one interview that she thought they were safe because, you know, they had an alarm system. But she never thought about not being safe from what's inside her own house. And she was like, that's terrifying as a mother. And that just stuck with me. Like, yeah. Ugh, just even like with the ID shows and stuff. That's exactly what I was about to say. Mm -hmm. Anytime something invades your personal space, that's your safe space, whether it be a robber, a, you know, something like that, or a freaking ghost, it's your safe space. And if you can't be safe in your home, where can you be safe? Yeah. There was one time when Steph was upstairs making the beds, And she heard a loud banging that seemed to be coming from downstairs. I mean, it's in the 2000s, so she picked up her phone and started recording. Because if it's an intruder, she's got him on camera or whatever. Or if it's the spirit, she has proof. Because again, she's still got that skeptic brain. Even though it's been crazy stuff, it's still like... Trying to reason things away. And so she actually had footage to share on the documentary with Steve Shippey. And you can hear a door open. You can hear banging. And the chandelier swaying a bit from the banging. And that's like how loud it was. And it seemed to travel from downstairs to the door. Banging on the door. Opening the door. Banging some more. And then the door closes by itself. Damn. Yeah. And there's several more instances like that that she caught with her phone. And it's eerie because you can hear someone walking, but no one's there. Allegedly. Allegedly. Sabina honestly started fearing her bedroom to an extent. Because at night, sometimes Victor would just be standing there silently beside her bed. And she would close the curtains or hide her face, whatever, and just pretend that she was normal and lived in a normal house just for one night. Bless her heart. Yeah. It got to a point where the family called a local priest, and he blessed the house, blessed the room, and everything seemed fine. You know, they all were like, yeah, it feels better. It feels better. They walked him out, but when they went up to put Sabina to bed... They opened the door to find all of her wall decorations, posters, and mirror on the ground. Oh. And the posters looked to be ripped and, like, just torn off the walls. So you can imagine how deflated they felt. You know, like, they were like, yeah, it feels lighter, everything. 
their help goes away, they go back upstairs to be like, you're safe now, and to open it to... A tantrum. Yeah. A ghost tantrum. Yeah. So this is like kind of an aside, but I will say that in the documentary, Stephanie called Steve Shippey after he left one night. He's the investigator who does all the documentary stuff. And he also does the Haunting, Haunted in the Heartland series on Travel Channel. And she's like, so I didn't bring this up earlier, but when we were renovating the house, we were trying to level the land because there was some standing water in low spots, all the things. Like, mm-hmm. if you built a house, you understand. It's all the things, and it's fucking expensive. Well, when they're doing that, they found a large stone that was buried under the ground. So they didn't think anything of it, like broke up the slab, moved it out of the way. Then they found some bones and they inspected them. And like, they're like, "Mm, some of these don't look animal. You know, like some were just like too big to Mm -hmm. be animal. And so Steve Shippey asked what they did with them. And she was like, well, we didn't really know. So we thought, well, let's just rebury them. And oh, my God. Yeah. And just leave it be. They didn't alert the police, which is odd, but whatever. They were just like, let's pretend it didn't happen. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then there is also another thing that Stephanie pointed out on another house visit. Because they were there for like over like five weeks. Damn. Yeah. She said that they found this hole in a closet. They needed to, like, do some plumbing or, like, wiring or something in a bathroom. Well, they were trying to get to it through the basement or something, and they couldn't find, like, what they needed. And so they were just kind of, like, looking around, and and in the in this closet, they're like, why is linoleum on here? Like, that might, that's kind of weird. Just kind of ripped it off because, like, who wants the linoleum on there anyway? Mm-hmm. And it was a big hole and so it was an access to below and it's like a dirt hole or something and she said that she thought that the previous owners might have used it as a cistern which is a place where you can store water like an underground reservoir for rainwater well the two boys went down there when they were like eight or nine and they found a man's shoe and a woman's shoe and when they found the second shoe, Stephanie was like, nope, come on, get on up. Like, mm-mm, we don't know what's up there. They boarded up the access. We don't know why. So we're going to board it up. And she forgot all about it until Steve Shippey's visit. And so she's like, I don't know if any of this has to do with the haunting. I mean, kind of big shit to forget. Right. But she was like, so when they were doing with the... The grave, essentially, they weren't living there. So she didn't know, like, if stuff picked up then. You know, like, what if it wasn't, like, things going bump in the night before, but they weren't living there while they were renovating it. And then when they, you know, messed that up, that's when it became active. Like, who knows? And so, you know, she just didn't put two and two together. I mean, you really fucking buried the lead on this one, Stephanie. Yeah. Pun intended. Yeah. Well, and then with the access, like, I can understand kind of forgetting about it if it's just, like, that weird thing and it's, like, in a closet and you, whatever. But then it's, like, oh, yeah, there's this uh, weird 
thing in our house, you know? Where we found shoes after we found fucking bones. Yeah. that I mean, all of this should have been reported, I feel like, but, you know. Also, though, I'm a little bit like, like, how, like, where did it go? Because if they boarded something up, like, where did that go? Was it part of, like, the under- Underground Railroad? No. Like, there was no access to it. Like, it was literally just a... Hole in the ground. Yeah, like, I mean, it's like a small tunnel, but there's no exit. Gotcha. One of the crew members goes down, and he finds some old bottles, an old shoe, and he's like, well, here's another shoe. But then the big thing is that he's like, these walls have scratches. Yeah. And he makes the connection that they're very low, like a child would have done them. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, because he's like, okay, if I'm down here as an adult, I can't physically, like, make that scratch that low, how it needs, like, how it's going, you know, like, Mm -hmm. he was just, like, trying to be technical about it, I guess. But again, this is all just, you know, I mean, like, you see scratches, hell, it could have been a raccoon. Mm -hmm. They're low to the ground, too. But never lock a raccoon up. I love them. Anyway, but he said, like... Those scratches, there was a child ghost, like there's a child ghost, maybe a child was locked down there. You know, who knows? So I don't know if any of that is factual or not, but that's what's in the documentary. And so I felt like that it's too big to not mention it. I feel like that's the whole goddamn story. (laughs) I mean, like, unearth those bones. Yeah. And figure out whose fucking shoes they are. That's the whole fucking story. Yeah. Well, and those shoes, there was only one shoe down there. But I thought she was a boy and a girl. A man, a a, a, a thing and a thing. I know. So where are the other shoes? He only found one. I thought you said when the kids went down there, they saw two. Yeah. Oh, and now he only found one after they closed it up. Oh, where'd it go? Yeah. Like, did one of the kids take it and, like... Did that mess up some of the mojo? You know what I mean? Like, you never know. (sighs) How can they do this, like, documentary thing and not do their due diligence of finding those fucking bones and turning them over to police? Even if it is fucking animal bone. Yeah, I didn't understand that either because, like, they just kind of let that go. So I'm like, I don't know if that's factual or not because I feel like, Anyone worth their salt would have been like, let's get a bobcat and dig this shit up and just see. I mean, was it like under the house? No. Because that would be the only reason why I could see them being like, okay, we would literally have to destroy your house. Because I don't think they would be able, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. unless, again, they, unless they did it at the very beginning, but even then, like, I don't know. It has, and she said they were doing the outside, so. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you're not doing, like, your fucking sod grass while they're still bringing in piping, you know? Right. So, I don't know. Also, Steve Gonzalez from Ghost Hunters and the House in Between documentary. Yeah, I almost brought that up earlier. Well, he makes an appearance in this one as well. And he has some experiences while he's there. Him and Shippy are in... I mean, it's Steve and Steve, so I'm just going to say, yeah, like him and Shippy. That's fine. So they're up in Alexandra's old bedroom, and Shippy was telling him about what the boys told him. And Steve felt something weird on the back of his neck. And he said it was like 
almost felt like a string or something of like cotton just like against his neck. It was just like a weird thing. And at that same time, there's this weird rolling sound and they find a marble that has just rolled from nowhere, like literally from nowhere. And it's just rolled on the floor. It was just really weird. And then there's like also several different knocks, creaks, you know, footsteps, banging, all the things that the family had said they had heard the crew witnessed. Which the marble thing, like, it would be easy to see if the floor was like on a slant or something. Yeah, but like, I don't know. Also, it was like just timed weird because he was kind of, because how Steve is, he tries to disprove stuff. Yeah. Or like, well, if like the air kicks on or something, would it be the one to move the door? You know, and so he's just trying to see how much force to make that rattling sound and, you know, stuff like that. And then that's when he felt the stuff on the back of the neck and then the marble rolled. You know, and it's like, like just like a domino effect right. of stuff. And I don't want to tell you all that happened in the documentary while they're investigating because it really was a good documentary, in my opinion. And if you have Amazon Prime, it's free. But I'll end with this, and it's kind of a cliffhanger. Sorry. But the family still lives there. And how the documentary ended, Stephanie and Steve Shippey were in the main living room and they're just kind of talking about her experience and everything. And so she starts talking out loud in the room and telling whatever spirits are there to cross over that there's no ill will anymore and there is forgiveness there. Let's move on. Please cross over and she asked the spirits to leave her family alone. And then the documentary says to be continued. So we're all waiting for the second one. And I will update you with anything I find because I'm still looking because I cannot find any updates. Like I have scoured and cannot find any like new stuff about the family. So... Maybe that's a good thing. There's not much about her husband in this. I know. He he was in the documentary. Okay, okay. Where he did say, you know, that he had heard some, like he'd be in his office and heard something on the stairs or saw like the cat staring at the stairs. Like those are his kind of experiences. So I don't know if he worked like off or anything. I don't know what he did. Well, I feel like I interrupted you like the whole time with all of my uh, commentary. No, you didn't. The bone thing is fucking weird, though. Yeah, like, I don't know. I just feel like... I mean, she legit was like, by the by. Yeah. When we were digging, we found something. But we just covered it up. Okay, bye, thanks. Yeah. I don't know why we have spirits. (laughs) The fuck? Yeah. Stephanie! (laughs) This is kind of going back to another story, but they had a psychic come in and like I I zoomed past that because again, the documentary was very interesting to me. Even if you don't believe in any of it, it's it's just an interesting, mm-hmm. you know, 
It's two hours. I felt like it was a little long, but it was still good. They had a psychic come in and she was saying that she felt that Victor was trying to protect Sabina from that other spirit. And so like the other spirit came in when they did the Ouija board Mm -hmm. and the Charlie Charlie thing trying to contact Victor. That's when that spirit came in. Well, when she was led out of the house, when she was walking, kind of like Victor's the one who might have set off the alarms and not her. Like she made it out. Yeah. And he woke everybody up to protect her. Yeah. Also, I never believe that a child spirit is a child spirit. I know. Like I'm always like, it's fucking something covering up for what it really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Ghost in the Burbs. Uh Uh-huh. Ghost in the Burbs. Annabelle. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-mm. Yeah, I don't believe any of that shit. I'm like, oh, you're not really a kid. you hiding something. Uh-huh. Something. That's a mask. Poor kid ghost. I'm like... It's like, I just want to play. And I'm like, you want to play what, with my soul? Exactly. Uh-uh. No. You know what they want to do? Ram your fucking back of your feet with a cart. <laughs> well, this took a turn. <laughs> I mean, I might be scarred. I don't know. <laughs> Emotionally and physically. <laughs> I can't weak Achilles tendons now. <laughs> well, your story was a family and my story has to do with families. Mm. Okay, picture it. Northern Ireland in the early 1980s. There's two students going to college Colin Howell and Leslie Clark. They're both in their 20s. He is going to school to be a dentist and she is going to school to be a nurse. And they were not very similar. The only thing they really had in common is that they were both pretty religious. It never really said what religion they were other than Protestant is all I found. But just the way that their relationship with the church and the elders of their church was described, it's it it felt like a how I picture Mormon religion here. You know, like very close with the church, very close with like the leaders. They are kind of your go-to for guidance, you know, that kind of thing. So both really religious, and they met at a church gathering. Well, Colin was like super quiet, not very outgoing, and Leslie was just the opposite. So people were kind of like, wait, what? When they started dating. And Colin was way more into Leslie than she was him. In the power dynamics of their budding romance, she had it all. She even told her friend, like she wrote a letter to a friend and was like, you know, I I don't really feel it with this guy. I'm kind of waiting it out, see what happens. Because they had a trip coming up to Greece. And, you know, she was just like, I mean, he's really good on paper. You know, he's going to be a dentist. He's the same religion he's involved in the church you know he's not bad on the eyes but you know let me just kind of play it play it out one time this guy was visiting and he was older because you all know i have a thing and my sister Lori, you know she was alive at this point uh she had texted me and was like hey so like how's it going do you like him i was like yeah i do like him not super my type, but I like I do like him. But I said like not super my type. We'll see how it goes, kind of thing. And uh, 
He totally saw that text. Whoops. Yeah. And how did it go? (laughs) (laughs) He, yeah. When he left that weekend on his way back, like we were just kind of talking like, what does this mean? How are we going to end? Like, yeah. What are we after this weekend? And he was like, so I went in to get something and your phone was unlocked and you got a text. (gasps) And so it was just like, that is so fucked up. Mm, I know. And it was her being like, yeah, just see how it goes, you know, kind of thing. And so it was like right there. And that's how I found out. Oh, no, that's shitty. I'd have been like, fuck you. I mean, I was like, well, I did say that you weren't really my type, but it worked out. Like, you know what I mean? And fuck you for going through my fucking phone. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh Uh-uh. Well, we see where it went. Oh, yeah. And we're going to see where this story goes, too. Oh, shit. If you're not feeling it, you're not fucking feeling it. Yeah. Okay. So they go on vacation to Greece. And while they're there, Leslie has a change of heart, though. She actually is like, okay, okay. You know, getting yeah. feel, she's feeling some calling. Well. Does he have a change of heart? Well, this is what I think happened. Because, okay, remember they're very religious. And it was like premarital sex was a no, no. No fly zone, all the things. I think they had sex on this trip. Mm. Which is why I... Because we do know they have premarital sex, because that's going to come up in just a second. But because she comes back all in love, mm-hmm. I think that they may have had sex on this trip, mm. and it like triggered her emotions and all of that. Yeah, I literally have no proof of this. This is just like my intuition of like she went from eh, to like oh my god, I love him, and if he was like her first, you know. Yeah. Okay, so they get back, and they. Keep seeing each other. All things going really well. Having sex all the time. (laughs) That is until Leslie got pregnant. Oh, shit. Yes. So, by the time they realized she was pregnant, it was too late to, like, have a shotgun wedding. And people actually believe that, like, the math didn't add up. So, it's not like... Oh, well, he got pregnant on the very first night, which totally happens. Well, then you had the baby at six months, you know, like, and yeah. it's 10 pounds. Like, no, yeah. you were pregnant before. And so they were like, we can't let anybody know because, you know, they feel like they're these prominent people. Like, he's going to be a dentist. She's going to be a nurse. They value their position in the church. And in their eyes, the premarital sex was a sin. And so they're going to be hypocrites. Awesome. Well, Colin is like, Sorry about you, girl. I don't want to be married right now. I'm too young to be married with a kid. I'm still in school. Like, I'm not ready for this. And she's like, God, I don't I don't think I can be a single mom and do this. And, you know, I need help kind of thing. And so he convinces her to get an abortion. And I'm not even touching that tangent. Mm-hmm. At the time, abortion was illegal in Ireland, so they had to go to England to this clinic so that she could have the abortion. So he took her. They come back. You know, it takes some time 
because obviously she had to process some emotions. But over the next year, they end up having to go back to that clinic two more times. Are you kidding me? No. And this is what happens when you preach abstinence. Yes. You know, in Dirty Dancing, when she goes to the abortion uh-huh. thing, and he, like she comes back and she's like all hurt. Uh-huh. And Johnny's like, what happened? And his cousin is like, the doc had a, a folding table and a dirty knife, or a dirty knife and a folding table. And I didn't understand yeah. what that meant. You know, and I asked my mom, I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, I, okay. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't get it. And she was like... Like, he wasn't legit. Like, he, you know, like, she just, like, went on this whole thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, because it's not legal. Right. And they can't regulate shit. And so he could do whatever the fuck he wants. Yes. And, like, fuck her insides up Mm -hmm. to be like, okay, cool. And whatever, you paid me and peace. You can't tell anybody. Also, there's that show I love called The Midwife. It's a British show. Mm. And they... Call the midwife. What'd I say? The midwife. Oh, you said it's called the midwife. Yeah. But, like... Not it's called the midwife. It's called call the midwife. Yes. Yeah, I was like... (laughs) Like, something's not right there. But But they do a good job of, like, addressing it, too. Like, just to show how women did it back in the day. Because it was happening with fucking coat hangers and shit you know and that's my biggest argument about abortion it's like at this point y'all know we really do try not to be super political but i am sorry this i will say my fucking opinion until i'm (laughs) dead in the ground i don't care where you stand on abortion you can't put pandora back in its box yeah now that it's been legalized whether you agree with it or not which I'll do, if you try to make it illegal, it's going to still happen and women are going to die. Yes. That's all. Okay. So now in their relationship, Leslie's in love. She's fucking in it. She's three, I mean, she's three abortions in. Like, she's been through a lot of life with Colin at this point. A lot of trauma. You know, she's had a hard time processing it. And... Colin now is like, I mean, now she's like, I don't want to say tainted because he's like, well, now she's had three abortions. It's almost like now in his eyes, it makes her less than. Mm -hmm. But I want to like, you are just as much fucking a part of this, Colin, as she is. For sure. Like, don't act like you're better than she is at all. Right. Because she can't make a baby by herself. Exactly. It's like the abortions and everything glued her to him because of the trauma, because of everything. And so everything is wrapped up in him. Yes. And that is what tore him apart. Like, eh, I don't want to touch that then. Like, that is too much trauma. Like, too much baggage. Eh. But that's your baggage, too. Well, also, it's like, it makes her, like, no longer pure in Mm -hmm. his eyes because... She's gotten pregnant. She's had an abortion. Well, who do you think she got pregnant by? Who do you think took her to the fucking abortion? Yeah. You know, and it's like in those cultures where it's like. Whose idea was the abortion? Yes. Colin. But like in those cultures where women are sexually assaulted and now 
it's hard for them to get married because now they're lo- no longer a virgin. Well, they were fucking raped. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, it's always in these frames of mind, the woman's fault. Mm-hmm. She's no longer the virgin, so she's no longer pure. So she's the one that is blamed. But it's like, meanwhile, who the fuck did she have sex with? Yeah. It, oh, it pisses me off how people value women's, like, worth with their sexual history and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But praised for a man. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but even with a man, too, like, if a man doesn't have a lot of partners, in most cases, it's like, why don't you have a lot of partners then? Like, you're judged that way, too. Mm-hmm. You know? Or if he has a lot, it's like, God, you have a lot of partners. Like, you, sexually, you can't win with some people or with society. Because you know what? It doesn't fucking matter. No. If you want to have sex with every man in this fucking town, it's your business. If you want to have sex with every woman in this town, it's your fucking business. Just have consent. Well, the sad part is that should fucking be understood. You know, I'm just saying. Okay, we got to move on. Long story. And we are getting into tangents this time. I told you this was going to be a, (laughs) I warned her, y'all. Well, eventually he wanted to do the right thing. But there was also part of his mind that was like, oh, nobody's going to want me with this baggage. So let's get married. Leslie had been working as a nurse. He's working as a dentist. When they had their first kid, she started staying home with the kid, and she had trouble staying at home. She really missed working. She was used to the hustle and the bustle of being a nurse, and now she's staying at home with a child, which is a hard job. It's just very different than what she was used to. But they eventually had two more kids, and she stayed at home with all three. Colin starts doing pretty well as a dentist, And he decides that he wants to open his own practice. Well, he insists on putting all of this, like, fancy-schmancy, state-of-the-art, she-she equipment up in his dental practice. And it just put the family in debt. Well, again, Colin is all about appearance because... They couldn't get married because they didn't want people to know. Now he's this, like, family man and... All the things. He's the dentist with the kids and the wife that stays at home. It's like the perfect nuclear family, right? Well, now he's like, okay, it's time to buy the house to make this life look complete. So they're in debt from the dental practice, and he buys this huge house. And here's the thing. So when they move in, like, it wasn't totally finished. Like, it, like, the, like the finishings weren't. Like, the flooring the hardware on the cabinetry and all of that stuff. Nothing of that was done yet because he was tapped out on loans. And so they moved into this house with none of that on there. And it didn't have it for a long time because they couldn't afford it. So it's like from the outside looking in, their life is pristine. They've got this big house, a dental practice, three kids, a happy marriage, yada, yada, yada. But meanwhile, the inside's... A disaster and I don't know that just is so poignant to me not only about like their financial state but 
Leslie finds out he's having an affair. And he started this affair when she was pregnant with their third child. Oh, my God. There's a special place in hell for someone who has a fucking affair when your spouse is pregnant. Yes. So it's like they're broke financially and their marriage. And one day she was like, I'm going to fucking leave him. There's nothing, you know, she like goes to buy groceries or something and there's no money for her to buy groceries. Like everything's declined. And she's like, fuck this. Calls up his practice and asks his assistant like, okay, how much money y'all got in petty cash? The girl tells her and she says, put it to the side. I'm coming to get it. And like she says, like, I'm leaving him. I'm coming to get the money and I'm taking the kids. Well, the fucking assistant tells him. Why would she tell the assistant? Because she should have just said, I'm coming to get the money. Yeah. Or she should have just shown up and said, give me the money. Yeah. But, I mean, we could should her all day long. We are not in her situation. And you know what I mean? It's it's oh, not yeah. fair to say she should do something. Oh, yeah. Hey, look, I'm a blabbermouth. Okay. So we all know I'll, I'm the screech of Saved by the Bell. Uh-huh. I'm rewatching that, y'all. So that's okay. Good, I, I was wondering. <laughs> but screech always tells like everything like shh. Yes, it was the first season, and he told on Zach all the time. Anyway. Okay, so the assistant tells him, and he's like, put the fucking money up. She ain't leaving. When she gets there, he, like, sweet talks her, and she decides to stay. By sweet talk, you mean gaslights? Probably. Yeah. So she stays, and they have their fourth child. I knew you were going to say they had another kid. I fucking knew you were going to say, oh. So, okay, y'all know my math. I pride myself on being good at math that I'm not actually good at, so (laughs) joke's on me. But from my calculations that are probably wrong, that means they now have four kids under the age of five. Holy shit. Yes. She's basically been pregnant for five years. Well, okay. The saying, once a cheater, always a cheater, isn't always accurate, but in Colin's case, it was. Mm. You know, Colin, he was a classic narcissist, and he just got pleasure in the power that came from cheating. He liked the idea of him being able to impact someone's life in a way that he could make someone else's spouse cheat oh my gosh so he liked it real messy yes so okay colin was a good dad from what i can gather he did the shit with the kids one of the things that he did is he would take the kids to swim lessons well while he's at said swim lessons he sees this beautiful lady swim in laps at the pool and her name is Hazel Buchanan. And he actually knows Hazel because she and her husband Trevor go to their church. Oh. She is actually one of his kids' Sunday school teacher. Ooh. You literally said that just like a siren. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so they know each other. They haven't talked very much, like just like a few like words in passing or whatever. And he's like watching her swim. Well, the next time they go to the swim lessons, 
he's like, ha, 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 gonna take my swim trunks. Uh-huh. So he, like, slithers his slippery little ass on over into the swim lane that she's swimming in, and he starts to help her with her swim lessons. Oh, God. Like, like picture, like, the swim version of, like, teaching someone to play golf or pool. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, he's like, oh, and then you do your arm like this, blah, 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 blah. Oh, my God. If you're not Michael Phelps, shut the fuck up. This is why I'm single, y'all. You know, okay, and this you, this is where my my brain went. I was like, well, he does have a really big wingspan. He can probably put his arms all the way around me. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were both flirts. I mean, obviously, she knows what she's doing. She's not, I mean, she's a married woman. Like, if Colby was in the pool, like, showing someone how to do a fucking breaststroke, like, that's inappropriate, like if you are in a relationship, you you know where the the line is. You know, I mean, even if you're not in relationship, you get the point. So she's married. Like she knew what she was doing with him. Mm-hmm. But also, you a very jealous person. Oh, so fucking jealous. Yeah. Look, I might be the pettiest bitch there is on the planet, but Carrie is the most jealous bitch there is on the planet. So they know what they're doing. They're flirting, and it eventually does cross the line. Well, like I said, Hazel is married to Trevor. She's also a stay-at-home mom, and Trevor is a constable. They had two kids, and Trevor was very happy in their marriage, but Hazel wasn't. Trevor liked the status quo, didn't really, you know, don't rock the boat. Like, he was happy being average and life being where it was, but Hazel wasn't. She always wanted more. She couldn't understand why he didn't want to, like, take the surgeon's exam and, like, keep going up the ranks, and he's like... I don't want to fucking deal with the politics. I'm happy where I'm at. Like, we're good. We've got money. We got, you know, everything's fine. And so she was always wanting more. Well, so like I said, Hazel and Colin have crossed that line now, and they start having a full-blown affair. Like, they will both go on church outings with the kids so that they can, like, sneak off, be together, all the stuff and it not be as obvious because they're on these church outings. I feel like that's extra sinful. What would Jesus do? God. Certainly not have an affair in your own house, in your bed that you share with your spouse. Damn. Yes. Like they like would hook up in, like I said, in their houses, like both couples' beds. They, you know, and it's just like there's like something extra fucked up about that like and look everybody makes mistakes i by no means am saying anything like to make someone feel bad if you're in that situation right now where you're the one having the affair like again you do you boo but these people trying to portray what they were trying to portray in their lives yeah and what i would be okay with in my own relationships this pisses me off yeah that's what pisses me off the most is the line the hypocrisy of it i just feel like those are the people who vote against everything i stand for and they're actually they're doing, doing it, it. Uh-huh. like they're doing worse shit and it's like oh cool like not everyone is allowed to be married but y'all are cheating and everything you know uh-huh. what i mean and it's like Fuck y'all. Mm-hmm. Like, but marriage is holy and all, you know, and it's just yeah. like, fuck y'all. Yep. Anyway, so, yes. 
So Trevor notices that Hazel's just, she's not herself, like she's just off, right? And he wakes up one day and there's a note and she's like, basically, I love you, but I need a couple of days. Like, don't come try to find me. Like, I just need a few days. And so he gives her her space for a couple of days. And in that few days, she and Colin were taking a trip to England to go to the same clinic that he had taken Leslie. Oh my gosh. Yep. Hazel was pregnant and she had had sex with her husband and Colin in that same month. So she didn't know whose the baby was. And so she didn't want to have this baby and it be clearly Colin's. Wow. And so, so she had an abortion too. Wow. And like legit on my notes, I wrote, meanwhile, remember, they're still leaders in their church and live in this double life. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the deal. Leslie, she ain't fucking stupid. She's been through this before. She knows the signs. She really tried to move on from finding out that he had the previous affair. But she knows the signs. And she was kind of always looking for them, too, because... She had some postpartum stuff going on. You know, she had postpartum depression, and she finds out that he's having an affair, and you know, she just had a lot going on. So while she worked very hard to move forward from it, she still would look out for those signs. So she recognized when he wasn't wanting to have sex anymore, when he started working longer hours, when he's having hushed phone calls while he thinks she's asleep, she's like, I think he's having an affair. So she goes to see one of the leaders of the church just to talk to him about it. Because remember, like I said, they're very religious. And the church that they're involved in, I mean, that's, they, you know, the leaders are there to help guide them and be a source for them. So she talks to the leader of the church. And then he, with her, they confront Colin. Well, he denies everything. He's like, I'm not having an affair. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'm not having an affair. Well, that pastor, leader, really, I don't know what he is. He knew that another leader in the church had seen Colin and Hazel out together without the kids. Mm. So he was like, I know where I'm going next. And he fucking went to Hazel's house. At first, Hazel's like, absolutely not. Like, I'm not having an affair. Nothing. Nothing's happening. And she's like, but, you know, we really are having some problems in our marriage. You know, she talks about all that. But then she eventually opens up and tells the pastor, okay, 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 okay. Colin and I are having an affair, but it's not sexual. It's just emotional. Like, we just have a connection. We flirt. We talk a lot. But we haven't had sex. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay. So he goes back to Colin and Leslie's house. And Colin's like okay and he tells the same story she did because you know she was like did you boop 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 hey i told the pastor but i told him we weren't having sex okay bye yeah so although the church is anti-divorce they tell the two couples adultery is grounds for divorce so you'll have a decision do you want to work on it or do you want a divorce and each couple you need to make your own decision independent of one another both couples decide that they want to start marriage counseling and they oh. want to work on it. So their marriage counseling, though, is with the church leaders. 
And they just are not, in this situation, maybe not in all situations, but for sure in this situation, equipped to handle what's going on, you know? Not to mention that, you know, they say, look, okay, if you're going to do counseling, Hazel and Colin, y'all have to break ties. No more talking. No more interactions. You can't see each other. You know, they start going to different church services so they don't see each other. They're, they can't, they're not supposed to call each other. You know, all the things. Like, you have to break ties. If you're going to work on this, you've got to be done. And they were for a little while. You know, they ended it. They weren't talking. Both couples were going to therapy. But Colin was just going through the motions. He was not in this. He does not want to work on his marriage. He's just doing it to keep up appearances because he doesn't want to get divorced because of how it looks and could affect his standing in the community. Mm -hmm. It's not because he loves Leslie and he wants it to work. Well, eventually Colin tells that pastor that he and... Hazel did, in fact, have sex and that he wants to tell Leslie. So that pastor's like, okay, but, like, let me talk to her first to, like, I mean, this poor girl. The I mean, can you imagine the emotions that, and her, the inadequacies that she feels and all of this when she's amazing, but, and Colin's a piece of shit, but, you know what I mean? And he's yeah. a narcissist that gaslights her and, you know, does all this stuff. It makes it her fault, all the things. So the pastor and Colin tell her together. And when they tell her, she storms out, goes into her bathroom, stays in there for a little bit, and then leaves the house like in a fury in her car. Well, by the time she came out of the bathroom and left the house, the pastor had left. Well, when Colin goes in the bathroom, he sees that she took a whole bottle of pills and so he calls the pastor and they're, because again, it's like their first call isn't like, hey, police, can you come help me? It, their, their first call is to a church leader. Like, yeah. you know, it, again, it's just how their church is set up. You know, it's, you know, you, you keep it within the church, you go to the leaders. She ends up coming home and the pastor's there and he convinced her they go to the hospital, pump her stomach and she's okay. But she realizes through this suicide attempt, like, she doesn't want to die. She wants to live for her kids. And, you know, she's like, because it was like, it was an impulse thing. It wasn't something that she planned. And she realizes, like, this isn't what I want. Well, Colin is a total piece of shit. And at first, when he thought she was going to die, he was relieved. Because oh he's gosh. like, it's my out. Yeah. And then when... She didn't die from the pills or a car wreck or whatever. He was like disappointed, like, fuck, again, that was my out. So he and Hazel, again, were supposed to stay apart. The pastor had told him something like basically Hazel had moved on and they're doing good. And he was like, there's no fucking way. Like, there's no fucking way that she can just forget about me. And so, like, they had a system for calling each other, like, late at night he would call her and like it would do like a little bloop, half ring and he'd hang up and then he'd call back and she'd be able to pick up on the first ring so he did it and he was like if she picks up like got her you know mm -hmm. she picked up so it rekindled everything well leslie and trevor they find solace in each other because oh gosh well not in like a oh, okay. sexual like in in like a 
in a friendship way. Like there's no one else on the planet Earth that knows the whole story like those two do. Yeah. And they can talk to each other about their feelings and the affair and all of that and the betrayal and understand one another. So they were friends. They would, you know, they would go get coffee or, or whatever together, but totally platonic and not inappropriate at all. So in Leslie's head, they're still working on it. They're still going to counseling. They're trying this like dating thing again, you know, dating each other. And her dad had been sick. So she had him come stay with them. And one night when they got home from a date night, she found her dad and he had passed away in their house. Oh, my gosh. And she is utterly heartbroken, which, I mean, duh. But the only silver lining is that she does get an inheritance from him. And it's like what would now be like $500,000. Damn. Yes. And she's like going through all this grief about her dad. But she's like, you know what? Fuck this life. I'm not happy. I've got this inheritance. Because she knew that Colin had all this debt. He had actually just lost like a shit ton of money in this kind of Ponzi scheme type thing where he was like, I don't know, thought they were like mining for gold or something. Oh my so, God. He fell for some scheme, lost a shit ton of money. So she knew that like his debt was going to be her debt and it was enough to be able to cover the debt. And so she could, she could make a clean break and get out. And so she was like, okay. Like it was like her father's death empowered her. Yeah. But Colin doesn't want a divorce. He wants that money. He wants to get out of debt too. He wants all those things. But after Leslie's dad died and they were going to get that money, he got to thinking. Money from her inheritance, life insurance, all the things. Hmm. And so it was like a light switch and it was like all he could think about is figuring out how to get rid of Leslie and Trevor so that he and Hazel could be together. Oh my gosh. So he's trying to plan the perfect murder. Instead of divorce, because... Because God does not approve of divorce. Right. That's a sin. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Infuriating. Mm -hmm. This is infuriating. Okay. So, Colin comes up with... I mean, I'm not going to lie. Is it actually good? It's a pretty good scheme. Well, because he fell for a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, but this is actually pretty fucking good. Then I'm going to go out on a limb. He didn't actually come up with it. Okay. So, we've got Leslie's previous attempted suicide. And Leslie and Trevor were friends. They would, you know, commiserate together and so forth. So, he said, let's make it look like a suicide pact. Ooh. He tells Hazel, look, I've got this idea, but I need your help. He's like, all you have to do is give him a sedative and move his truck out of the garage. That's all you got to do. I'll handle the rest. And Hazel's like, oh, I don't know if I want to do it. I don't know if I want to do it. I don't know if I want to do it. But she does help. So this is what he did. He gave Leslie a sedative. And they doing, they're doing the family thing, you know, get the kids to bed. You know, he's like bathing the kids all the while. He knows that like, oh, her Benadryl, it's not Benadryl. He's a dentist. Surely it's something more fancy, but it's 
working. She's getting sleepy. Oh, paddle, paddle in the bathtub. You know, like, just the juxtaposition of that is just like, fuck you. Yes. So. Jokes on anyone who tries to do that to me. Because if they gave me one sedative, I'd be like, they'd be like, okay, she's going down. Okay, it's been 10 hours. She hasn't went down yet. Y'all, I have seen, I know I've said this before, but I've seen this bitch take three Benadryl and not blink a fucking eye. No, I've been on six and stayed up, had stayed up 24 hours, been on six Benadryl, and recorded a podcast. She's not human. (laughs) But give that fucking girl coffee and she gonna be up for 10 years. Like, coffee fucks me up, y'all. Well, luckily, that's, I'm loosely using that word, for Colin's plan, she like passed out on the couch because he hooked up a hose from like a garden hose from the car with a baby bottle and like made this thing to go over her face to hold on to her so she would die from the carbon monoxide fumes. She actually woke up for a minute. Oh my gosh. And was like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And she yelled out for her oldest son, Matthew, and he, like, held her down, like, had a pillow over her, like, holding that mask on her face. And she eventually stopped breathing. Oh, my gosh. So, he puts her body in the trunk of the car and goes over to Hazel and Trevor's house. At this point, Trevor is passed out as well because Hazel put the sedative in his tuna fish sandwich. Ew. I know. This girl don't fucking eat too. She's so weird. She don't eat any fish, any shellfish, nothing yummy. Mm -mm. So, same thing. Baby bottle. All the things. And he wakes up too. Oh my gosh. And remember, he's like a police officer. You know, so he's like, Colin needs Trevor pass the fuck out. Because he's strong. You know, fights bad guys and shit. (laughs) Well, same thing though. Because he's still like groggy. He's not, you know fully awake and all that, he was able to hold him down and hold the mask over him, too. But in the scuffle, he hit his head. Mm. He being Colin. So now Colin has, like, a bump on his head. So he's like, okay. It took a little longer because they both fucking woke up. He's kind of starting to, not panic, but panic. Like, okay, oh, wait. Now where am I going to take him? Because it's, again, starting to get a little more daylight. Like, he's he's running out of time. Mm-hmm. So he puts Trevor in the trunk of the car, too. He's got his bike in the car, because that's his getaway once he parks the car. And he's like, aha, her dad just died. Nobody's at his house. Let's take him there. So he drives to Leslie's dad's house, sets it all up. You know, she's laying in the back of the car. This is how much he planned this. He has pictures of the family and, like, puts them all out around her. He brings her Walkman with her favorite gospel music, turns it on. He can, like, hear the gospel music playing through the headphones while he's, like, positioning them with the carbon monoxide and shit. Oh, my gosh. So, again, just that, like, juxtaposition. Yeah. Well... He positions her, and when he's trying to get Trevor positioned with the hose and all of that, he, like, kind of falls out of the car a little bit, but he's, it's almost daylight. Like, he is running out of time, and he's like, I don't have time to adjust him. So, we're fucking going with it. Hook up the hose. He's choking from the fumes at this point, too, starting to kind of get 
groggy himself. So, like, he's got to get a move on. So he just kind of leaves him, like, kind of half-cocked in there and gets it all set up, gets on his bike, and goes home. Luckily, again, quote-unquote, luckily for him, when he gets there, the kids are still asleep, so they're none the wiser. So it's morning time now. So he calls the leader of the church to be like, hey, look, I can't find Leslie. Last time I saw her, she was with Trevor. They were so mad about the affair. Trevor and I got in like a little fight and they left together and I can't find her. And so they go, they start looking for her. You know, they're like, well, where do you think they could be? And she was, he was like, oh, you know what? I mean, she still has the keys to her dad's house. Wow. Girl, they went to that house like three fucking times before they found him. He oh kept my being God. He kept being like, Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Damn, who is he? BTK with that cereal box? <laughs> but did you look hard for them? Are you sure they're not there? I mean, where the fuck did he put these people in at? the garage? They're in the garage with the car running. I mean, obviously the car had died because it ran out of gas, but like yeah. they in the fucking garage. Like, oh my god. Anyway, okay, so <laughs> the police do an investigation, and look at this point, Colin and Hazel are intentionally keeping their distance because mm-hmm. now they have to make it through the investigation. Mm-hmm. So they're keeping their distance. And the police are doing their investigation. You know, he and Hazel tell him all about the affair and how upset Leslie and Trevor were. All the things. Well, police rule it a suicide. Wow. I mean, why would you not, though? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. So, for the next five years, Colin and Hazel have, like, a secret affair still. Oh, my gosh. After about three years, though, they started, like, bringing the kids around each other. They would go on holidays together and all that. But they weren't, like, out. Yeah. Because the murders happened May 18th of 1991. Sorry, I didn't say the date earlier, but I felt like I needed to. Well, in 95 is when Colin is like, look, there are two dental practices for sale in Scotland that I really want to buy and us move to Scotland and start our lives together. And Hazel just has a hard time. You know, she's, she just is missing that emotional connection that she had before the murders. She just is, you know, she helped, but she just had a hard time with it. So hard, in fact, that they were having trouble, like having sex, because again, she just could she just couldn't. Well, Well, cry me a river. He started drugging her (gasps) so that they could have sex. And it was allegedly consensual. Like, allegedly she was like, yeah, it's cool if you just, like, give me some, like, a sedative so we can, it just calms calms her down so they can have sex. Okay. Allegedly. Well, Hazel just can't do it. She's like... I can't do this anymore. And they break up about a year later. This is in 97. Colin meets a lady. Her name is Kyle and she's American and she's, you know, living in Ireland. He met her at a Bible study class. She's divorced. She has two kids. Like she had been in this 
abusive relationship. Oh, wait, she's divorced? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. But it was an abusive relationship, so oh, it's cool. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Well. Oh, God, I just, oh. Well, he ends up marrying Kyle, and they have five kids. Holy Hannah. Uh-huh, so his four, her two, seven, plus five more. It was like 12 kids. So he has 10 biological kids. Holy shit. He's a breeder. Well, one day, he can't take it anymore, and he confesses to Kyle that he had killed his first wife. And she is like, you you have to go tell authorities. He's like, okay, okay, I will. But first, let me get our money in order. Like, let me get these, finish with these, like, you know, practice or their dental practices or whatever like let me get some money so that built up so y'all have a safety net well of course one thing led to another and he didn't fucking go to the police well in 2007 his oldest son matthew who was his name was literally leslie's last words he was doing some school type of shit in russia And had gotten into an argument with his roommate and had allegedly lost his grip and fell down like a stairwell, like four flights of stairs and died. Oh my gosh. There is a little like, hmm, into that. Like, did his roommate push him or not? We don't know. It was ruled an accident, but some people think that he was murdered, but... Oldest son, he was only 22 when he died. That's so sad. Well, after, like, some financial trouble and Matthew dying, Colin was like, this is God telling me to come clean. Like, this is my punishment for killing Leslie and Trevor. Like, I have to come clean. So he does. He comes forward to police, and he tells them everything. Which, of course, everybody is like, wait, what? This was ruled a suicide? This is like 18 years later. Yeah. Like, what? I mean, Hazel is remarried herself now and has two other kids. You know, it's like everybody's lives have moved on. And then all of a sudden, he can't live with it anymore because he thinks like the universe karma is coming to get him. And so he confesses. Well... Not only does he confess to that, he also says, oh, by the by, um, I've been drugging patients and assaulting them, too. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. And I think that that was, like, the final nail in the coffin for Kyle, and she was like, I'm fucking out. Yeah. So she divorced him and took her two kids and, well, it's they're all seven hers, but in his five biological kids with her, back to America. She said, like, everyone thought he was this great Christian guy, but they're so wrong. He was a monster. He kind of tried to, not necessarily fake a mental illness, but he he tried a little bit to maybe get some um, insanity stuff. Mm-hmm. But all the doctors were like, no, he's literally a, like a textbook narcissist. That's all. Yeah. He good. So he ends up pleading guilty to 
assaults of three patients. Wow. Oh, here's the other thing, too. He would charge patients like $10,000 for services that he never did. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that might be like part of the healthcare system. It may not have necessarily come from them to, you know, like them directly. I'm, I'm not really sure. But he was charging for services that he was not performing in the thousands. Wow. So total, there were like six patients that were assaulted. The police end up arresting Hazel. Like I said, she was remarried, so she was Hazel Stewart now. And he testifies against her. He gets life in prison with a chance of parole after 21 years. Hazel was found guilty as well, sentenced to life in prison with chance of parole after 18 years. And here's the thing, like, thankfully, all of that came out about Colin assaulting his patients because he essentially would have been able to, like, come back out and practice dentistry if he got out in 21 years. But because he had those charges on him, too, he was stripped of his dental license. So, like, all but one of his children, like, won't have anything to do with him. And the one that does, she's, like, studying to get her Ph.D. in criminal psychology or something. So, she probably just using him for the research. Yeah. But it was, like, all the money that he had, like, it's gone. Like, it all went to attorneys. It all went to all the, you know, and it's just, like, his, now his kids have nothing. They don't have their mother. They don't have their father. They don't have any money to start their lives. I mean, most people don't, but you get the point. But now they're out both parents. Wow. And really, his biological kids with Leslie are out three because they lost Kyle, too. If you think about it, she went back to America. Yeah. So that's the story. The murder of Leslie Howell and Trevor Buchanan. Wow. Yeah, doesn't that story just, like, make your fucking blood boil? Yes. Oh, my God. I mean, it's like my story, Stephanie and Tom, they were trying to do everything to protect their kids, mm-hmm. but Colin did everything to destroy his family. Because Stephanie and Tom aren't textbook narcissists. Yeah. And Colin is. He's incapable of doing something that does not benefit him. Mm-hmm. And what sucks is like, all the people that got sucked up and destroyed along the path of his destruction. Mm-hmm. In total, with all of the, the marriages and kids, 16 kids, period, just kids' lives wow. are affected. Because, I mean, I know I said about, like, his kids not having their mom, dad, but same for Hazel's kids. They don't mm-hmm. have their mom. and I mean, it's literally the same thing. They don't have their mom and dad anymore either. Yeah. Because she was just as complicit and Mm -hmm. involved as him. Yeah. She gave Trevor the sedative. She moved his truck so that he could pull in the garage so that he could load the body with no one noticing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, she can't say, oh, I thought he was going to do a prank. Like, no, you knew what was going on. And you sat there while... He wrestled your husband and held a gas mask to his face. Mm. There is a lot of controversy, too, like, about the police's investigation in it. Like, because, like, remember how I said that Trevor was kind of in the car weird? Like, 
the police were just like, oh, because his knee was kind of hanging out a little bit. And the police were like, oh, he must have, like, had second thoughts and then, like, died. You know, it, like, just stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like, if they would have dug a yeah. little deeper, it probably wouldn't have been ruled a suicide. Yeah. Because, I mean, if he hadn't, if he had kept his mouth shut, who knows? Because it was 18 years later, and it was just because he confessed. But the fact that he would, whether Hazel consented or not, the fact that he would drug someone that he supposedly loved to have sex with them says so much about him as a human being. Mm-hmm. Because she was too emotionally unavailable to be able to do it because he together they had killed their spouses he's a special kind of fucked up anyone who says okay let's kill our spouses so we can be together they are not gonna last together Mm -mm. because that is always gonna be between Mm y'all and no one trusts someone that much either you know what i mean like because if they would kill the mother of their children the father of their children what are they going to do to you yeah and like you could hold that over the person's head Mm -hmm. like oh you won't do that well you know what i mean like well i'll do anything for love but i won't do that (laughs) right but it's like wouldn't the police like to know what you did to trevor you know what i mean and this is not a good example of it but usually the police are like, wait, both of y'all's spouses died? I, I, if he hadn't made it look like a suicide pact, it would have been way more obvious. But it really did go to his benefit that people knew that Leslie and Trevor hung out. And, like, how he had, like, the family pictures around her. Like, it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, it was not a bad idea. Yeah. But don't fucking kill anybody. No. But you know what? This is how our two stories really tie together. The evil was inside the house the whole time. The phone's ringing in the house. (laughs) Yeah. Like, again, you can protect your kids from every, you know, you can try to protect your kids, but you can't protect them from what's inside. Damn. When you put blind faith in someone that they're a good person and... People will show you who they are. And this is a cliche saying... But, and when they show you who they are, believe them. Yep. It just breaks my heart because Leslie had been through so much trauma and abuse for that matter. I mean, to be frank, with him and I don't know. And I just feel like Trevor's was more like out of left field. Like, yes, she was having an affair. No, they weren't happy. But like, kill him. What? You know, like, I think that she would have just like gotten a divorce. I don't know. That was just very odd. I don't know. Yeah. She definitely would not have done that. Hazel being she would not have done that without Colin. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is she did it. She did. Well, y'all tell us what y'all think. Y'all know we were on all kind of soapboxes today. <laughs> you know, I could have gone on and on and on about the, the soapboxes, but they were slippery. No kidding. <laughs> Keep sending in y'all sinister sighting stories, like, review, all the things. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.